Hello there. So I don't normally do an intro for Tuesday Night Book Club, but this one being the last of the series or season or whatever you want to call it, I said I'd do a quick one. So we did this for the last 12 months. We set it up sometime in May last year, myself and Deck, and we've done 23 of these, so 23 book reviews in a little over a year. Lots of learning for everybody that attended over that period of time, and it really helped those that gave their review to to really hone in on the material themselves and they got a lot of benefit from it as well. So fascinating 12 months. We decided now to take a couple of months off for the summer, come back in September and kick into Tuesday Night Book Club season two, series two, whatever that term is, uh, and look forward to that. But this one, going out with a bit of a bang, Tuesday Night Book Club number 23 with Paddy O'Reilly. He reviewed the book Strategic Doing 10 Skills for Agile Leadership. And what was even more interesting about this one was that the one of the authors ed morrison joined and took part in the review he gave his feedback gave his insights answered a number of questions that we had as well so that was a great way to end maybe we'll do a bit more of that in september when we kick it off again and mix it up not just people reviewing others books but maybe the authors coming along themselves and giving a, a review of their own book and we can probe and question and ask what their thought process was like as well so if you have interest in doing a book review in september or onwards get in touch be nice to have a few scheduled we'll do it every two weeks again dates will come and you can sign up through eventbrite and all of that stuff so just check in with me if you have any ideas around that or interest rob at rob of the and enjoy this one with Paddy o'reilly on strategic doing take care and have a great summer good luck Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Thank you for taking an hour out on your uh, Tuesday night at short notice to uh, to do this book review. It's number 23, the last one of the season that uh, went on a lot longer than we thought it might do before we take a couple of months off before the summer break and then come back in September um, great way to go out, as I said, with a, a really interesting book that I'm looking forward to hearing your review on. And um, I guess we'll we'll hopefully that's a good enough intro for you, Paddy, and you can take it on from here. Yeah, cool. Thanks, um, uh, Rob. And um, great to be here, uh, guys. You know, um, I know I recognize a lot of the names. I recognize some of the, the faces. Um, also, um, it's great to have Ed on. It's a bit surreal in a way to be reviewing, as I say, a book. And next thing the author decides to pop in. Uh, uh, but again, it's it's a testament to Ed. And I think his, uh, his uh, approach towards what this book is actually about, which is really about democratizing change and trying to get that word out there. So I'm actually very, very comfortable talking about uh, this book probably for a number of reasons really um, uh, I think the, the book was probably published in 2019 uh, I came up, uh, across it maybe uh, within that first year I'd say anyway and um, straight away it really resonated with uh, with me and, uh, and I think it resonated for uh, a few reasons so as a book I think it, it, it plays a very similar tune to the tune that uh, I suppose uh, I'd been playing for maybe a good decade, two decades before that. I'd been looking at change within organizations and we uh, found out really uh, because we're slow learners over time that a lot of what was out there in, uh, I suppose, in terms of how we should manage change in organizations just didn't work uh, full stop. You know, I'm not even going to qualify that. I'm just going to say it just doesn't uh, work. Uh, and we've been rooting around for a lot. We've been rooting around in practice, trying to ch- uh, uh, adopt different approaches. We've been rooting around in research, trying to figure out what has research to say about. We're rooting around in teaching as well. So we're teaching uh, and mentoring different individuals and actually seeing how they were then getting on in terms of maybe applying some of the techniques we we're talking about. So a lot of my work was sort of between practice, research, research uh, and uh, and teaching um, and then I came across this book I think originally I came across it where I'd seen maybe 
you post on LinkedIn within um, a, a, a community of people that I were, was increasingly um, connected into. And I saw people talking about this thing called strategic doing and about this book, strategic doing. So I suppose j- before I go sort of further into, into maybe what the book is about, I just want to point out there is a number of authors or there are a number of authors there. Um, I've come across uh, Ed, uh, who it's great that Ed joins us here. Scott Hutchinson, I've also come across. Liz Nielsen, I've I've come across. Uh, but there's also two other authors I, I wouldn't be uh, as um, uh, familiar with. There's Janice is a uh, Fadden, and there's Nancy Franklin. So I think it's just to recognise their input as as well. So in terms of of, of the book, and and one of the reasons it resonated with me really was it was challenging the whole idea of the way we go about. Uh, strategy, the way we go about uh, change. Um, And I think uh, when I talk about the book, I talk about Ed. For me, the book and Ed are very much a a similar, uh, I suppose, entity. Uh, And I think for me, Ed is the, the I'm not going to say the grandfather, the father, whatever the correct term of of strategic doing is. Um, And when I first came across that book, as I said, it resonated because it was really challenging the way we do change. But when I came across Ed, then uh, it actually went to a new level for me where uh, Ed, again, wasn't just resting in his laurels. Um, I suppose maybe looking at a methodology that he'd been applying for probably the previous 20 years, but actually trying to research, trying to figure out why does this work? And the way Ed was doing this was using what I call action design research or practitioner research, which, again, is something I also, um, uh, I suppose, practice a lot in terms of the way I I, I do uh, research. And again, the more, I suppose, uh, I, I looked at what it was in the book, I think it was very much born out of experience. And I just was writing down a few notes here before before I, I, I came on air. But um, I think Ed refers to Oklahoma City as really the, the birthplace of strategic doing. And I've also heard him talk about that it was born out of a garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time when I first heard Ed talk about the garage, I didn't quite understand until uh, I read the book where literally it was born out of a garage, I think, in Oklahoma or a basement within Oklahoma City where they were trying to turn around really um, the um, what was happening in the city at the time. Uh, it was going through a rough period of time. I, I know I heard uh, Ed talking about maybe traveling to Oklahoma City, staying downtown. Uh, I think there was one uh, hotel there. At times, Ed felt he was the only one staying in that hotel maybe over uh, a, a weekend. So it was in a desperate straits, you know, uh, and what they were trying to do was turn around the fortunes of, of, of this of this city. Um, Again, Ed's background, uh, from my understanding, if I remember correctly, you know, he worked with uh, maybe uh, a part of Boston Consulting Group. Uh, prior to that, it was all strategic planning, you know, and it was about bringing strategic planning into organizations. If I remember correctly, Ford, um, Volvo, GM, um, and, and organizations like that. But again, probably Ed hit the point where he said, this isn't working. So similar to what we'd hit with uh, organizations, I think Ed was maybe coming to a realization, strategic planning, as we know, it does not not work and, and referred to this big shift which I think is, is uh, I suppose, that more movement from strategic planning to alternatives. Strategic planning really being about, you know, hierarchical control systems where you can divide, um, uh, you know, work and strategy into components. Those components can be assigned to people. Those people are then uh, responsible for performing those actions, yet all the decision-making stays up higher in, in, in that hierarchy. Uh, and again, um, I suppose that that's that uh, vertical form of, of decision making that we'd seen in organizations, which just doesn't work, especially uh, in a, a world that's increasingly complex. We know with complex environments, you can't break complexity down into steps. You can't really assign elements to different people and, and then expect when it all comes together, you've addressed the complex uh, problem. So really the challenge then I think that this book, Strategic Doing, really tried to fill was what you do. Okay, so if the old ways of, of working, the old ways of planning do not work, 
then what's the alternative? And the alternative really was born out of that experience, I think, in Oklahoma City, uh, trying to find a way uh, to turn around the fortunes of Oklahoma City, where you didn't necessarily have a command and control um, um I, I suppose, over the different stakeholders there. You couldn't just tell people what to do. You have to appeal to them. How do you get people to work together towards this higher purpose when you can't really dictate what they should be doing? And this is what we call a horizontal form of, of, of leadership. And for me, strategic doing is all about that horizontal form of, of leadership. And I, I wrote down some comments here that I, I picked up from uh, the book, you know, uh, when, when I first read it. Um, and I love some of these because I think they, it really captures the essence of, of what this book is about, what this methodology called strategic doing is about. Um, it's, it says it's an open source operating system for complex collaborations. So I think there's some really interesting elements to that. Um, uh, first is this idea of the open source. And I know uh, I've heard Ed talk about, was it back in uh, 1992, I think one year before uh, he started with, in Oklahoma City, uh, coming across, I think by chance, you know, um, uh, a physicist who was talking about, you know, uh, open source software developments uh, and how those projects work. Um, and also talking about the, I think the internet and the uh, really the early days of of the rollout of the internet. And I think what's really inspiring, part of my past would have always been worked in software development and including open source. Is these types of projects do not work the way we think of software uh, development projects in lots of organizations. So again, the way traditionally we used to do software development projects in organization was what we call waterfall. Again, top-down, vertical form of control. Yet these open source so, uh, software development projects, which are groups of people that come together, not necessarily for any commercial value, to solve problems in this world using software and what they, they do really is, is they, they share a purpose. It's a purpose, pull them towards this initiative. Very often they give of their own free time to developing these solutions. And it's an incredibly, uh, I'd say, ultra-collaborative approach to solving problems. So it's really interesting that Ed reached back into that you know, open source and trying to learn from those open source. Now, also really interesting about open source is uh, – Generally, there's an ethos within the community. If you develop it using the community, then you give it that piece of software back to the community. It isn't controlled by any commercial entity for purely commercial reasons. It's actually developed by the community and given back to the community and, in fact, given back to the public. And I know uh, strategic doing uh, isn't just inspired by open source and, and the way those projects are, are, are developed, but also inspired by the idea of giving uh, strategic doing back to the community. And that's why I, I thanked Ed earlier for it's, uh, I think, a real sign of, of the individual that uh, his natural instinct is to, is to try and get more and more people using the likes of strategic doing like we would if we're developing open source software. So I think that's a really interesting uh, element to the, the whole sort of um, ethos behind open source software, but also strategic doing. The, the other, um, um, I suppose, quote I picked out was, you know, to form uh, action-oriented collaborations quickly. So this is the aim of strategic doing. To, so it's to form action-oriented collaborations quickly, moving towards uh, measurable outcomes uh, and uh, true adjustments along the way. So, again, I, I suppose one of the big issues we have with, um, you know, strategic planning is we tend to come up with these plans and then at some stage where uh, there's a big uh, gap between our ability to execute and achieve those gaps, there's inertia and, and uh, uh, I suppose uh, there's delays and there's uh, erosion of trust, erosion of confidence, etc. On the other hand, what strategic doing is calling out about this idea of, I suppose, it being action-oriented. Rather than overthinking it, let's start uh, acting now, let's start collaborating now so that we can sense the way forward together, we can build trust, we can build momentum together and we can adjust as, as we move along. 
Okay, so again, very different to that strategic planning approach. Um, uh, and also, I suppose, you know, it's, it's based on... Um, the idea of, of networks, obviously. So why networks? We, well, we know with complex problems, the only way we can really tackle complex problems is through diversity, uh, bringing all, uh, different perspectives into the room, different perspectives, literally bringing the system into the room is what we say sometimes, and then working with those systems. So uh, naturally, what we're doing is with these loose connections uh, across uh, an ecosystem of partners, and we're asking ourselves, how can we get this ecosystem of partners moving, moving early so that we can build momentum and build trust, and obviously with the desire to achieve a, a, a better outcome. Um, so I suppose just to maybe focus a bit on the how bit of strategic doing then, and I, I think one of the big, um, I suppose, the when, when I first read it and, and, and I heard Ed was one of the big things was the simplicity that, people were uh, and including himself were able to create around this idea of strategic doing i always think it's a great sign when you have something very complex but people can come up with a very easy uh, or simple i'm going to say simple way of communicating it's not easy okay but it's 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 communicated in a very simple way and uh, and i i think at the heart is i suppose emphasizing what is strategy and redefining what it's strategy and i, and I know um, the book and ed gives a lot of credit to um um, you know, Cathy Eisenhart, you know, in terms of, of, of what strategy is. And at, at its simplicity, it, as, at its core, it calls out that really there's two key questions, I think, um, if, if I remember correctly, when it comes to strategy, you know. Uh, actually, I'm going to add this third one. I think we do ha need to have a sense where we are now, okay? But the other two then is where do we want to go and how are we going to get there? So two core questions. Where do we want to go? And how are we going to get there? And I think uh, if you then open those two questions up, you get a, uh, a two by two matrix, if I remember it correctly, you know, uh, with um, uh, further sort of questions that I can ask uh, of us when, when we're trying to bring a group through each cell on, 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 on that matrix. So generally, we, we start to you know with the, the question, what could we do? Okay, and generally that's a fairly large set of things we could do. But then we narrow it down and say, well, what, what should we be doing here? Okay, so that narrows it down and we've, we've a, a way of maybe trying to get from everything we could do to what we should do. But I think a, a, a big step across the divide then into, you know, uh, how are we going to get there? That second question really is what will we do? Okay, so there's lots of things we could do, but what will we do? And how do we break that then down into that fourth quadrant into small, achievable, measurable outcomes? Uh, I think um, Ed calls it the 30-30. Apologies for my core pronunciations. The THs are, are still a struggle for me. But it's, it's it, you know, you, 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 you pick this period of time, whether it's seven days or 30 days or, or whatever else. And the idea is, is that we commit now to something that we can do to Together to get to this, you know, seven-day or thirty-day mark. But then we, we at that point, we look back at what we've achieved, okay, and figure out what do we do next. So let's break it down into these smaller steps. And I think those smaller steps again are really important. Um, and we'll come back to them afterwards, you know, in terms of just they're small enough that uh, we can go slow enough that we build that trust, we build that momentum, uh, and it brings us to the next uh, milestone, the next 30 days or the next seven days, and then away we go again. And I remember having a conversation with Ed at, at some stage, and, and, um, uh, and I know I'd very much emphasize this idea of let's just do things together, you know, and through doing things, we, 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 we get used to one another, uh, we also know, actually, interesting enough, one of the biggest ways of embracing diversity, definitely among kids, and we've seen that in the US and there's a lot of studies, is by getting kids or adults just to do things together. And next thing, what they do, start embracing one another's uh, diverse views because together we can get these things done. 
Okay. Yes, if if we're all standing around a room looking at all these people of maybe different colours or different languages or whatever, you know, it can be fairly daunting for for some of us. Yet the best way is just get people doing it. And I, I want to refer back to that conversation I had with Ed. I had to know we, we were joking that sometimes the most effective thing is just to get people to go out into the yard and start picking up rubbish together. Because it gets them going, it gets them doing things together. They've achieved something at the end of it. And it can be as simple as that, just getting the, the small steps, getting going on those, and then building, building, building. And, I, I, and I, that was a great uh, conversation, you know, uh, uh, and it, it was something that stuck with me, was that idea of just getting going. So I suppose just a summary of what I just spoke about, we have these two big questions, guys. You know, where do we want to go? How are we going to get there? That then opens up into four different, um, I, I'm going to call it elements. You know, one is what could we do? Next is uh, moving to what uh, should we do? Then what will we do? And now how can we sort of divide that up into uh, uh, achievable chunks of work? You know, the 30-30 or the 7-7. Seven, seven. Um, now, ultimately, I suppose what the, the book um is built around is then the 10 skills that will bring you on that journey through those um, four elements. I, I think, uh, if I remember, it's called the strategic doing cycle. So what are the 10 skills? Now, I think um, uh, uh, definitely a later, probably one of the last uh, chapters in, in, in that book, if I remember correctly, uh, is very, very clear that none of us individually will have all these skills so this points back again at the importance of having different types of people coming together, the importance of diversity, the importance of working together to achieve this bigger, bigger aim. So these 10 skills, uh, I think um, you know, they're fairly simple, but I think, again, the book, Ed makes a point, that doesn't mean they're easy. None of us will probably uh, be very well equipped to do all of those on our own. Uh, in fact, I think I've also he uh, heard Liz, the other author, proper hand and say, look, I'm good at some of these, but I'm definitely not good at those. And I think, in fact, I, I've heard Liz say, yeah, you know, Ed is good at those few uh, but not those ones, you know. So I, I think it's that recognition as well of, of what we're good at, you know, what we can do, what we're maybe not not as uh, as strong. Um, so the 10 skills, I'm going to just um, go through them, and I've, I've them written here. They're, they're essentially the, ch the chapters in the book. And, of course, I'd recommend to anyone, this book is, is, um, is a nice, easy read, but it, it literally just marinates in your head. Okay, so it's one of these ones, it's, it, it goes in easy, but it's only days and weeks later you realize you're using some of the language and some of the concepts in that book. And I know I've already said to Ed that I've uh, taken some of that language, whether I realized I was doing it or not, into the way I explain the stuff we've been doing the last 10, 20 years. I use, for example, this concept of big easy nearly all the time now. Where did it come from? It came from this book. There are, there's other concepts that that are, are, are similar. So I think it's a, a really uh, easy read, but it's it's one that will just soak into the way I think the uh, and into the language we, we we use when we're we're talking about change. So the skills and as I say, I have them written here, guys. Uh, by the way, any questions? What? Uh, before I go into the individual skills, I, I'm more than happy, and it's in bed with Ed here. Now I can, I can deflect any questions I can't answer to the man himself. But I also want to make sure we leave plenty of time to go for Ed to to jump in afterwards, and for whoever's in the audience. So any questions before I, I list out those ten skills? No, we're all good. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the, the, the skills, and I'm going to maybe go through these quite quickly, maybe some a bit slower than others. But like, uh, I suppose the first skill really is about uh, you know, leaders being able to create that safe environment for really deep focused conversations. You know? And I think somewhere in that book as well, if I'm not mistaken, it talks about you know, people um, naturally uh, move or change in the direction of their conversations. So if you can have people having new conversations, they're far more likely to start to move towards whatever those conversations are talking about. Okay, so people naturally move in the direction uh, of their conversations. Um, it's definitely folks on you know, a safe environment. And, and also, I know a Amy Edmondson has, has um, uh, 
written a testimonial for this book, um, and Ed refers a lot you know, to that importance of the psychological safety, being able to create that safety within the environment in which these groups will be engaging. So remember, this is a group-based um, uh, approach. Uh, I've also heard um, Ed talk about, maybe again, it's mentioned in the book, uh, about at some stages having to walk people out of the room where they just don't show respect to other people in the room during those conversations. Um, so this that's the first skill. The second skill then uh, is about you know framing those conversations with the with the right questions. I, again I think this is a really, really important um, um skill from for me, you know. Um I love I think there's a reference to um is it a, um, a research called Selic, you know, talking about the difference between um, asking someone to know what's five plus five versus asking the question, what two numbers added together would give you 10? Okay, so if you ask someone what's five plus five, it's it's like what we call a technical question. You know, there's a very uh, uh, set way of answering that and there's one uh, right answer and it's 10. Okay, so that's, I think, what the book refers to as a sort of technical, question. There's a set way of answering it and there's probably a right and wrong answer to it. On the other hand, if you ask, ask someone what two numbers added together will, will, will give you 10, you've literally an infinite number of, of possible solutions. Okay, And this is more uh, what we call like an adaptive uh, uh, question. You know, where there's again no set process to answering and there's no set right or wrong answer. And I think this also ties in to it with a concept, you know, called wicked problems. Again, that um, uh, it's a, a term we have used a lot in our research. I know um, strategic doing also talks about that with wicked problems. And, and uh, I suppose wicked problems tend to be these very complex problems where you've got lots of stakeholders, lots of different maybe perspectives, lots of different views, lots of different values, maybe lots of even uh, beliefs, you know, where there's really no right and wrong answer. All we can really do is start to move towards uh, uh, an answer that's satisfactory, that it's good enough for all of us to be able to commit to it. Um, so that idea of um, adaptive questions really are these types of questions where there's really no set way of answering them. There's no right and wrong answer. All we can really do is explore together to see where we want to get to in terms of answering those those uh, questions. Also, I think in that chapter, it probably brings in the idea of the appreciative element. And I know, um, uh, if I remember correctly, Ed uh, uh, would have come in contact with, uh, you know, um, the uh, one of the the giants behind appreciative inquiry uh, uh, is uh, David Cooper Ryder, you know, uh, in terms of uh, the importance of appreciative uh, approaches to uh, our worldview. So what that really means, instead of sort of always seeing the negative, always seeing the problems, can we switch it and actually see the opportunities and the and creating room for growth, a room for renewal, room for regeneration, where instead of talking about to know, uh, maybe an example is to know, why is it that customers are so disgruntled with our customer service? You maybe turn it into an opportunity and very often that's maybe using a, a why, why can't it be or why, how might it be type questions where we say, well, how might we build on some of our successes you know, in terms of customer inquiry to become uh, the uh, best respected uh, and uh, 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 supplier that uh, uh, creates the best customer experience for our product. So you're turning it instead of looking at the problems into the opportunities. And I think that's probably also a very important element within that within that skill. So it's the power of the questions we ask. And those questions can really invigorate people, inspire people. The next skill then, guys, is, is, is about, again, also probably true of appreciative inquiry is about starting with the assets we have, trying to recognize what are all the assets we can bring to bear on addressing maybe a, a, a bigger challenge? And again, those assets, there can be different types. So there's sort of physical assets, you know, 
buildings or offices or or what or maybe I don't know whatever else. Uh, but you can also have human um, assets like you know maybe the skills we have, the knowledge we have, the experience we have. We also then have maybe social um, assets, you know, who we know and who they know, and then there's probably the the, the financial or the capital ones. Um, then the fourth skill is about. Uh, I, I suppose recognizing the skills that we have, and sometimes they're hidden uh, assets. You know, they're things that we don't recognize ourselves. It's only when we're engaged in a conversation we start to really uh, figure out some of those assets and how we can link them together. Uh, and really, I suppose what what we're trying to do then is what can we do with this asset base, and that that brings in then the fifth skill. You know, uh, and this is this word, the big easy then that I spoke about earlier. What are the projects, you know, that would have a big impact, but are from a pragmatic point of view are ones that we can actually undertake and that we feel we can actually bring to a successful conclusion. So I, I think in the book, you know, that's divided up into maybe a two by two uh, matrix where you look at, you know, uh, impact, big impact, lower impact. You look at then, you know, difficulty and ease and really what we're aiming for. What are the, the projects here, the initiatives here that we can undertake together using the assets we have that we can create a large a noticeable impact uh, and that we feel it's achievable with the assets we, we, we have. And that's what we call a big easy. Um, next one then, I, I suppose, is, is about trying to measure your your uh, progress towards achieving those. Um, and I, I know this is about a sense of what success looks like, you know, and also what it feels like and, and what it will look like or, or how others will experience it. So we're trying to get a sense of what that success might look like so we can then gauge, are we moving towards it? Are we moving further away from it? Okay. So we've spoke about the environment, getting a a good environment together. We spoke about asking the right sort of questions of one another and really challenging, but inspiring and um, uh, motivating questions. We then spoke about trying to figure out what assets we have here with the big easy. We're trying to figure out then what are those uh, big impact relatively easy projects that we can undertake that then i I think brings us to the seventh skill you know um and i love this idea and it probably flies in the face of some of the language we use in agile where we say though it's all about speed but really the seventh skill says let guys let's start slowly you know in order to build speed in order to move fast so again it's like we said earlier if it takes something let's go out and collect the rubbish in, in the yard Let's start nice and slowly. Let's get used to each other. Let's start building those small steps, that, that mo- mo- uh, momentum. And then the eighth one, um, again, I, I suppose it's, it's interesting. It's, it's all about agile strategy, uh, you know, and, and uh, I suppose shared le- leadership, where, again, it's about those, I love this term as well, uh, you know, micro-commitments. What are the things each of us within this group feel we could commit to the next maybe uh, period of time where it's not a massive commitment, but it just gets us going. So these micro commitments. So we're not asking for big commitments from everyone because, again, that causes inertia. It causes fear, delay, the whole lot. But what are the small things we'd be willing to to give towards this higher uh, purpose? And then uh, the ninth one is about that 30-30 idea. Okay, let's commit to doing something, but let's also commit to being back here, meeting in seven days or 30 days, whatever it is, looking at what we've then achieved in that period, but also what we can achieve in, in in the next period. And then number 10, so, so uh, hopefully this is, uh, hasn't been too quickly, uh, uh, um, uh, I suppose, uh, a race through them, is about um, uh, that, re- again, it's back to this idea of diversity and back to what I said earlier. Uh, and I've heard, as I said, Ed and Liz sort of um, live this idea that we d- all of us don't have, in fact, none of us have all these skills. So what we need to do is recognize the value of others and be willing to work with others because together we're better, okay, than we are individually. And I think for me, that's a, a mantra here again. It's about getting people together, getting them to do things together where they start to recognize then there is an amplification effect where they can get things to, done together that none of us could get done 
on our own. And I think for me, that is why the likes of Oklahoma City uh, is the success story turned out. And I know I've seen uh, articles that um, were written later. So remember, I think Ed was working in Oklahoma City, 93 to about 2000, about seven years, I think, Ed, you know. But I've seen certain newspaper articles talk about Oklahoma City uh, could represent the future of America was one uh, headline. I've seen another was, you know, the the comeback of the mid-sized American city. Again, talking about the experiences in uh, Oklahoma. So there's plenty of other examples in the um, in the book. Anything from I don't know um, Oklahoma City, maybe at the start through to NASA. I think there's a sort of an open innovation uh, example from from NASA. So at that point, guys, I'm going to bail out or quieten up a bit here. But I think that's a very quick uh, review of the book. And, and Ed can jump in if there's anything critical that I've, I've left out, and I'm sure, I'm sure there is. Um, so I'll hand it over probably to, to Rob first. Great stuff. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And like so many, I have so many questions. I'm not going to monopolize the questions, but um, I'll ask one to, to get it started. And um, Ed, great to have you along again. I, I, uh, I, a lot of the work I do at the moment, I focus on leadership, culture, people, uh, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, research a lot of those spaces and and talk to clients about that. And, and just on the last one, fascinated about the diversity angle that you've brought up a few times all the way through, and the need to have you know diverse groups, uh, people from diverse backgrounds. And one of the areas I'm, I'm focused a lot on is equity. And from the perspective of, you know, giving opportunities to different individuals from different groups, how would you see equity fitting in to the overall framework or, or one of the, maybe one of the rules? Does it tie closely in with number 10 so that not only are you getting individuals from diverse backgrounds, but leveling the playing field so they have that opportunity to contribute is that anything that you, you thought about during it or popped up yeah I, i'm going to hand over to ed shortly but i i think actually that that team is uh in the book and I, and even back to that idea of you know ed talking about you know within strategic doing you have to be willing sometimes to walk someone out of the room if when there isn't that natural respect for the voice of of others you know and allowing those voices to be heard regardless of whether they're a dominant group or, or they're perceived to be a dominant group or maybe you know um i suppose um a minority uh voice but i know i've heard Ed talk about it, so maybe I'll hand it over to Ed. Yeah, so the the equity uh, issue is usually addressed when we design a workshop or design a gathering, and it's really in that first rule, which is, you know, how do you create that safe space where people feel uh, open enough to contribute to this? And uh, our experience has really been working probably eight years in, eight to nine years in Flint, Michigan, which is a, 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 a you know, it's a, it was a birthplace of General Motors. It collapsed. Um, it's heavily African-American community. It's been uh, been in the news because of a lot of uh, issues around the water issue. Mm-hmm. But we were there primarily around questions of youth violence. And, of course, you have these structures that, that they exclude people. And so how can you create new conversations that are more inclusive and, and, and equitable? Mm-hmm. And it goes to the design of the workshop that starts with uh, with the first skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before too far down the road on this, but you know, I would advise anybody on this call that if you write a book, uh, actually ask Patty to review it because as I was sitting here, I, I thought to myself, oh, "Boy, he's making me feel smarter than I am." <laughs> so, so thank you, Patty, for for doing that. It, but I, I think one of the things that going back to, to the issue of equity, one of the things we're seeing is that uh, people are coming to us and using strategic doing in, in the United States. Of course, we have these really deep problems of racial injustice and uh, racism and uh, the rise of white nationalism. And communities are coming to us and saying, how can we use the principles of strategic doing to design new conversations that turn away from 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 these, these historic patterns. And so we're working with, with uh, practitioners in Texas around white supremacy, and we're working obviously up in Flint and, and now increasingly with other communities to, 
to design new conversations that address this whole question of equity. And, and it really does come down to how you design the conversation, how you guide it. Mm. No, very good. Yeah, really can see that. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, other questions, guys? Anyone uh, like to dive in? Mariana has to have a question. You're just on mute, Mariana. Thank you, guys. Yeah, usually not on mute. Um, first, I will start with the feedback. Um, so, Rob, um, thank you so much for for getting Podi to review the book and Ed coming over is just an icing on the cake. Um, I think I've been searching for for the for the book that Ed has written with the co-authors for quite a while. And I'm just so happy that, that I found. I'm now mid through the book. I got it yesterday on Kindle, and I was just enjoying it till 1 a.m. yesterday. Um, yeah. The book is exceptionally helpful in my career um, because uh, I, I experiment with different examples uh, trying to answer this question. Uh, um, we need a plan. We need exact plan. We, we can't start until we have this plan. And uh, working on the complex projects, um, getting people um, to, to really understand that uh, we just need to put one foot in front of another. Exactly the example you've given, Ed, in the book, that the, 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 uh, the person who's walking on the tightrope through the Niagara Fall uh, the, the, is just about it. That this is simplicity of it. You really need to assess everything, the wind, the the um the other weather conditions the um so many different factors and um get yourself to 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 cross that um that bridge right so um the the book is exceptionally helpful i uh, it's so highly practical i i just you know everything that i've read so far and podi you've done such a great work on reviewing it and summarizing it so well um, so really thank you for helping me to now have a vocabulary and the words and examples to, to, to lead better, to, to help my teams to, to, um, to deliver the, the, the projects. Um, I, I will stop now and, and let other um, members to, to ask the questions and then, you know, I, I might jump in again. But thank you for now. I think I think you're you're spot on, uh, Marianne, as well. Though, and actually, that idea of not having the plan also can for some people it, it, we nearly feel naked without the plan, you know. And and uh, we need to have the confidence of of doing things in a new way. And I think uh, that's definitely some of the work that you know we find very challenging with organisations is is trying to get them to let go of of, of the need for this three-year plan or, or one-year plan even and say, okay, let's, let's, let's use these big easies, these Pathfinder projects, though using Ed's uh, language, we, we use different language as well, but let's, let's get going and sense our way forward. You know? And I don't know if, if, and also, actually, I really like the idea, back to that idea, the language. I think the book gives us a new language, um, a new language for being able to talk about these things. You know? uh, so again, I don't know if Ed has a comment on, on that. Well, a couple of points. Uh, one, one is uh, I think the 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 startling realization for me was about halfway into this, about ten years into it, and I realized that that it's all about the conversations, and and, and that that it, it ends up being that conversation is the key technology of our innovation, and and our strategy. And uh, you know, when I when I got to that, I thought it can't be that simple. You know, it, but it's also that complex. You know, our conversations. When you think about our conversations, they're very, they're wickedly complex as well. Um, so th that's one thing. And but to to be able to describe a process for guiding a conversation that's at first very uh, uh, divergent and then convergent, um, uh, and be able to, in the course of say two and a half, three hours, generate a strategic action plan of things that people are actually going to do. Um, I thought it was not going to be that hard to do, to do that because I, that's when I went to Purdue and I said, okay, well, it'll take me about three years to figure this out, how to 
this thing in my head, how do I teach this is really what I wanted to do. But the actual language was really hard to come up with language that didn't trip over our old concepts of strategy. So you don't see us talk about goals. You don't see us talk about tactics. You don't see us talking about any of those things that are sort of traditional. There's no SWATs in any of this. And that's because uh, all of that is is kind of useless underbrush. It gets people tangled up and, and, and uncomfortable. And so if you, that's why I loved um, Kathleen Eisenhardt basically saying if if a strategy can answer these two questions, where are we going? How will we get there? Then you have a strategy. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that, as Patty points out, you have to design a conversation to, to get to those, to answer those two questions. But if you do that with these four questions, the first two questions will give you an outcome. Where can you go? Where are you going? The second two questions will give you a pathway. How will you get there? Now, it's not definitive at all. But coming up with one easy language so that people could use that language, and two, there's a visual language to the way we teach it. There's some pictures in the book, and you know when we teach this skill, we use these uh, drawings because it is complex, and and, and it's uh, to get to the level of simplicity so that people can grasp it and start to do it. You 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 have to. We had to come up with a visual language as well, and so. Visual language is purposely, you know, hand-drawn. It's not very, it's not very, you know, because that's, uh, you know, the world's a messy place and it's not perfect and it's not precise and the, the curves aren't <laughs> never perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does give people a sense of, okay, we're here, as Patty points out, we're trying to get over here and here's how we're going to get there. So the idea of coherence when people come out of these workshops is so critically important. It's, you know, vision, the singular vision of the individual leader is, is I would argue, is pretty much irrelevant now. What's more important is a sense of coherence, the sense of, oh, we're here, we've got a map, we can get out of this mess We if we start up here, and if it doesn't work, we can move over here. And so that sense of coherence, shared coherence, is really critically important for people to keep engaged. Yeah, and I love the idea as well, Ed, and it's maybe a point I should have made and I I didn't was that um, you decided to go back to Purdue, you know, and already having some success behind you but your whole and I, I know we had a private conversation at one stage and I hope you don't mind me saying this that there was a drive to, that you still weren't satisfied I need to be able to break it down so I can teach it mm-hmm. so that I can scale it it's not until we teach it that we can scale it uh, and I think it was it, you went literally through um, you know uh, I suppose a period of time trying to deconstruct it reconstruct it as something that could be teachable and then the book came afterwards so I know you you were adamant that you were not going to write that book until you felt this is something that's teachable so and I think in a way, this book is so such an easy read on a complex t- topic, you know, um, because it actually implemented isn't easy, but actually the way uh, you've explained it is easy to understand. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've been a practitioner. We've all been practitioners, and I've always been tremendously frustrated with people who came up with the book that said, okay, well, this is this is how you do this. And, and at the end of the day, it really wasn't how you do it. It was kind of some intriguing ideas but it didn't really tell me, okay, well, now what do I do? And um, so I was really frustrated by that through my whole career. And so I was adamant that we be able to teach people and that we be able to teach the neighborhood people in Flint with the same ideas and the same concepts. And this goes back to the issue of equity. Same ideas, same concepts that we used in Flint are the same concepts we used with NASA engineers and with Lockheed engineers, because you can't talk down to people. You know, you can't, you can't say, okay, well, we've got the, we've got the, the, you know, the sophisticated version for our corporates, but then we got the, the real simple version for our people who aren't, aren't, uh, you know, at the bo- they're at the bottom of the social ladder here, and we're just going to treat them a little bit differently. You, you don't do that. You can't do that. So it took a while, and it wasn't until, frankly, this was what happened. I, I was talking to a, a practitioner in Flint one day, and the next day I was talking to a, a Lockheed um, defense engineer, both of them dealing with really complex problems. One was dealing with reducing teenage homicides. Another was reduce- was 
trying to come up with a plan to 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 deploy condition-based maintenance across the Aegeus destroyer fleet. And they were talking about strategic doing and they were using Pathfinder projects and they were using outcomes with measurable characteristics and they were using the language. And then I said, okay, well, this, the, now we have this and now we can write the book. That's, mm. that's, that's when, that, it was when, when I realized that we could teach this to all sorts of different people and we didn't have to make any changes. And yeah. And, uh, so that's 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 when we decided to write the book. I didn't think it would take that long, but it did. It, it, it was an yeah. impressive apprenticeship. Uh, Ed. <laughs> I learned a lot. Yeah, yeah, I learned a lot. And uh, for sure, and you're a young man. What else would you be doing? Yeah, exactly right. Well, Patty, the other thing, and I really appreciate this, was you know, again, the, uh, my colleagues down in Australia asked me to do a PhD on this, which I, I didn't want to do at the beginning. But the point of that was to to then come back and try to understand okay, this is a, a practitioner model, but why does it work? Mm. You know, what research is there to support why this works? And that's really what the dissertation was all about, was saying, okay, well, actually, there's a whole lot of reasons why this works. And each rule has, you know, multiple streams of research underneath it to help explain why this works. So. Mm. Oh, and I've read it. It's a fantastic read. Sarah, did you want to say something? Um... Yeah, I just wanted to thank you both. I really enjoyed, um, you know, what you shared, um, I, specifically the piece around the conversation and how important it is um, to create space for that. I love the second skill with, around framing the conversation with the right question. I think it's so common that we limit and we don't even realize that we're limiting. Um the conversation by the way we ask the question. So I just felt that was really, really powerful. Um, in terms of learning more, how can we, I jumped on your website as, as you were talking um, and I see there is accreditation. So there is a possibility for us to, to dig deeper and learn. Is that right? Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we would like to work with partners to, you know, to share the curriculum that we have and uh, to work with them to get this in a sense, this is uh, when I say open source, it means that the IP, the, uh, the core IP of strategic doing that I developed is now held by a nonprofit corporation and they don't, they don't license this. They don't, you know, if uh, university college Cork wanted to license something, they couldn't, we don't license it. But what we do do is, share the curriculum of how we teach it. Mm -hmm. And we encourage then faculty at the University College Cork to say, okay, well, here are the basic principles and here's how it would make sense for us to teach this. And then we work, for example, with them to do that. So now there are multiple ways you can do this online and we're looking for more. The University of Oregon teaches it. The Ohio State is teaching it this week, actually. Uh, there are consultants who teach it now. Um, and all of these folks have gone through the rather simple process that we have to, to um, go through, again, a peer review. Here are the concepts. Here's how they apply. This is why they work. And this is what we've learned works when you teach it. Mm -hmm. And what we, what we try to st stay away from is the, the people who think that it's because it's simple it's easy it's it's really not easy it's it's it does take practice but mm -hmm. you know that's why we initially started talking with patty about how how might we work together to to accelerate this in executive education and and um uh, we're bringing it into undergraduate schools now we're actually working with uh, elementary and secondary schools uh we're embedding strategic doing into uh, a climate change initiative um there's a UK company that wants to uh, embed strategic doing into their collaboration platform. Mm. So again, you, the, the, it, it's a set of skills is really what it is. It's a set of skills. And the best way to, to learn it is to practice uh, these skills. Mm -hmm. And then. And, and maybe, Ed, you know, sorry, I'd like to you know, I always say never miss a good opportunity. Like may, maybe this is the, the start of a conversation, but an Irish user group or an Irish group that yeah. would look at it because I know we've been uh, bringing it into maybe a, a, a postgraduate diploma we've been doing UCC a few students were, were uh, using it for creating social change for the last um, uh, roughly about nine months you know and we're going to be kicking off again but 
I think you don't need to be on any program anywhere to use this, you know, but if people are interested, then maybe this is an opportunity for getting pe people together and say, let's, if we've got people here that are, are serious about it, then let's get some sort of a user group going, an Irish user group or, or something, you know. Yeah. Well, there are other user groups that are, oh, there, yeah, there are other user groups that are starting to form, Patty. So, for example, you know, and again, these are kind of verticals off of an open source base, so you can think of it that way. But, um, there's a woman at the National Institutes of Health. There's um, a, a, a senior ex executive in the Stats New Zealand. And there's uh, people at the defense, uh, what's called North American Aerospace Defense Command, which is uh, the people who take care of missiles here. Um, they, they all want to figure out, okay, well, how do I take these skills and mm -hmm. start to move them into large government organizations to make our collaborations faster, increase the velocity and volume of our collaborations. And so this is a, you know, there's a, there's a user group that focuses on rural economic development. And we've talked to uh, John Morley and uh, Kevin about the question of, you know, what could, what could Ireland teach us in the States about rural development? And so I'm hoping to, to, we have a, a whole group of practitioners who just focus on how do I how do I deal with rural communities? We have people focus on community health issues, you know, uh, opioids and uh, and maternal mortality, uh, infant mortality. These are very complex problems. And so I, I yeah, I mean, I we want to support uh, any of that uh, interest because strategic doing is not done yet. It's not, you know, it's not, it's never been done. It's never been finished. It's always constantly be evolving. And I said, you know, we'll be successful when it disappears. You know, when, when people don't, people just learn how to collaborate. They just, you know, they learn how to guide their conversations toward collaboration. And we're, we're somewhat distant from that goal. But my point is that, you know, strategic doing will be tremendously successful after it is when it disappears it just people just do it this way and that's what's happened actually up in flint a little bit you know the people up in flint say that strategic doing has become a way of being for them it's a way they do things together now it's a way you know and so it's it's mm. kind of transparent to the their process and to me that's the, okay now you've created this new culture of collaboration that uh, that, that unleashes human ingenuity on these really complex problems. Because uh, that's really what we have to do. We have to increase the volume and velocity of our collective ingenuity, you know, to work together. And in order to do that, we have to be pretty disciplined in how we talk to each other uh, when we're doing that. I think we've a long way to go, really, Ed. You know, organizations are so dysfunctional, um, uh, whether they're commercial organizations or, or even communities are dysfunctional, you know. So, um, and I know you've, you've grandkids, Ed, and I know you've aspirations that this sort of thing becomes, you know, mainstream for their mm -hmm. future, not just our futures, but the the future of the generations behind us. That we learn how to collaborate with one another, you know. Uh, we we learn how to cross these divides, whether they're political divides or cultural divides or whatever divides, you know, and and really look at the, the bigger picture and, and, and share aspirations for where we want to go with this, with this, this um, uh, globe this, uh, that, that we all live in. Well, that's, you know, again, th th this is really the, the whole purpose was to say, all right, well, if I've learned something in the 25 years and, and from that conversation with the physicist <laughs> that pointed me in the right direction, uh, and I'm thankful for that, if I've learned anything and I can distill it and then teach it to other people, um, then it's the next generations of leadership. It's the people on this call who need to take these things and, and apply them and, uh, you know, accelerate the development of, of our capacity to collaborate because um, um, none of the complex problems that humankind are going to face are going to be addressed by individuals, by organizations. It's going to be through collective, collective action, collective ingenuity. And um, the, the good news is that, that we've kind of figured out how to do this. And, and it's, um, you know, it's a model that's cross-cultural. I mean, we teach it in Dutch now and we teach it in German and, 
Uh, I'll be teaching it in Chinese. I, I won't be teaching it, but <laughs> teaching it in Chinese soon. I mean, I'll be teaching, but they'll they'll be translating. Um, and um, you know, we you know the the country of Ecuador, the the incoming uh, minister of industry and trade in Ecuador has been a practitioner for some time. So he's approached this and said, "How do how do we distribute this across the entire country?" So we're working with him right now. He's coming into office on May 24th. We've worked with him right now to figure out, okay, well, how do we start to build a core team? How do we start to take it from Quito out into the countryside? Um, you know, it's possible to do these things in a lot much larger scale. Uh, Alberta Innovates, which is a you know the province level group in in Canada. Um, you know, we have a variety of different people with Alberta Innovates that have about 50 people who are doing this. Uh, the NORAD people just came to us this week and said, how do we, how do we teach 2000 people to do this? Mm-hmm. So now we're talking to them about, all right, how do we scale to 2000? Well, thankfully we can do that now. Um, so I think it's possible for this gen- your generation of leaders to really think very aggressively about system change and transformation, but, but it, it will require just going slowly at first, not, not trying to, not trying to do and accept the paradox that grand transformations like the transformation in Oklahoma city is really just a compilation of small wins. That's all it is. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's just doing small steps every day, doing the doable. And, um, you know, but if you get an alignment of people doing the doable and they're aligned, then we all know that, you know, a hundred people taking one step can, it's a pretty big step. Um, so it's that mindset of alignment and uh, it's kind of swarm innovation or, you know, uh, kind of thing. It's a, it's a, it's very similar to the concepts that you're working with, with the effectuation, which is, you know, take the assets that we already have, Lincoln leverage them in a different way, align them, and keep experimenting mm-hmm. and you'll find the daylight that starts to accelerate. Um, yeah. and, and I think we, we've another uh, event, uh, um, and hopefully Rob, this, it's all right to say this, but, mm-hmm. uh, on is a Thursday week. I think we have an event about how, how can we bring the likes of strategic doing and that effectual innovation to make real differences in organizations though, and include, and actually that's something we'd share as well with, um, strategic doing. We're saying you don't have to change the whole hierarchy or the whole fabric of, of the system. You can actually start this change from within. And I think it refers to that as a platform. We refer to it as something slightly different, but you, these are things you can start now. You don't have to ask the leadership of an organization to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can create these small, contagious steps locally that can grow into bigger things as we build that trust momentum. And I know, Rob, you're, you're trying to get in there as well. Yeah, no, 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 probably I, like definitely will post out a, a link to that because I saw you posting that um, a couple of uh, earlier on today as well. So um, no, I'm not going to hug. If anyone has any other questions, I know we're conscious of everybody's time as well. And I really appreciate the extra, you know, hour plus that, um, that you've given to this party and Ed, but uh, any, any other questions before we, we bid the folks farewell. Well, thank you all really for participating. And Patty, thank you as always for, for your support and guidance. I appreciate no, it's it. Fantastic. I just want to say as well, Ed, we were talking about how bad weather has been here in Cork uh, today. You know, we had thunder, uh, showers, we had everything. Did I pick you up correctly, Ed, and you were saying you were going to the beach today? Yeah, I actually, I'm um, I'm heading right now. My I'm at the beach uh, with my granddaughter, so I'm I'm happy to be called a grandfather. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I'm 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 right after this, I head out to uh, give her a swimming lesson. So I'm, I'm and you yeah. still want to come to Ireland, even though yeah, we have this bad weather here? <laughs> yeah, of course I do. Yeah, no, that's a that's a big big issue on my bucket list. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I do. So, yeah, hopefully sorry. we're getting closer to it now again, Ed, you know, and we'll, we'll have you over here. Perfect. Brilliant. Thank you all. Brilliant. Rob, thank you very much. Yeah. No, thanks. Thanks a million. Thank you. Uh, yeah. It was very, very good. 
Very good. Thanks. Really appreciate it. I'm heading off to to a swim lesson. <laughs> Go <laughs> for it. it. Go for right. it, Ed. And Paulie, thanks, thanks a million. Everyone. Yeah, thanks to bye, everybody. And, um, See you guys. Take we'll, care. We'll bye talk bye. to you in. Uh, bye. Thanks, Paulie. Take yeah. care. Take care, Take guys. Bye. Bye bye. Hey, folks, thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, could you please consider helping me extend the reach of the podcast that a little bit further? You can do that in a number of ways. The number one way is to subscribe on your app of choice. This helps me with the chart ranking, leading to more folks stumbling across the podcast and checking it out. You could also repost it on your social media channels. Any of them would be great. And maybe even tell a friend in person or over the phone, pick up the phone, give them a call and tell them about the 1% Better podcast. Tell them about this episode or one that you've heard in the past. Any will do. I would really appreciate it. In the last year, we set up a 1% Better Slack community, which you can join for free. And interact with me and other members of the community and improve through holding each other accountable and sharing monthly challenges. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm into season four of this incredible journey and the more of these interviews and solo shows that I research, record and share, the better I believe that they get and more loaded with actionable takeaways that you can learn from. I know I've learned so much from it so far and it's always really, really fulfilling and rewarding when I hear from you on what you took from it. So do reach out, rob at robofthegreen.ie. And of everybody that listens, 90% listen and enjoy, but only around 10% actually take action, write down takeaways and put them into practice. I am convinced that if we can move that number a bit higher, the listeners will not only make steps forward towards their goals, but they will be more fulfilled and happy and better. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is hard, but it's all about taking the first step, whatever that is for you. You can absolutely do this. Make a plan, be deliberate, take action. Don't overreach. Start with those small incremental improvements and over time you will see great progress. It's all in the pursuit of betterness. So again, thank you so much for listening. Good luck and stay safe.